0: Uh, find your passage there, uh, Matthew chapter 6. So again, Joe White, uh, we planted a church called Neighborhood Church just east of downtown. That's from First to Cedar to Larry to Ventura Kings Canyon. So we kind of see our neighborhood as a geographical area of spiritual responsibility. So it doesn't have the issues or economic or political or spiritual or relational. We kind of invest ourselves into those uh, issues and make those issues our issues. All of our staff and team lives in the neighborhood. We're believing that Jesus uh, has placed people of peace in our neighborhood people who would align themselves towards the mission of God and who would see neighborhood transformation. We see 71% of our neighbors don't have a high school education. The average income is $26,000 a year in our neighborhood. We have 18% unemployment. It's a neighborhood with incredible need. But we believe that when Jesus does work in people's lives and when Jesus does work in our neighborhood, that life transforms. And whether it's economic realities or political realities or, or spiritual realities or interpersonal realities, that when Jesus gets involved, Jesus changed everything. And so as a, as a team of people in the Jackson neighborhood, uh, we've seen God do already just in the last couple of years. We saw 30 people follow Jesus for the last time last year. Everybody in our church didn't come from another church. There's zero transfer growth. We're pretty excited about that. So you all aren't welcome. But if you do come, that'd be great. Uh, that'd be great to see, have, have you see what we do. And I would love you to uh, join us in sometime on a Sunday at 4 p.m. We're a church that started a small business uh, that employs neighbors with barriers to employment. Uh, we, we started a nonprofit that's meeting specialized needs in our neighborhood with specific care. There are 29 blighted homes in our neighborhood that are bank-owned and foreclosed and boarded up, and our non our, our, uh, nonprofit buys and renovates and sells blighted homes to neighbors in our neighborhood who are on the verge of home ownership, but just need a little help to get there. And so what we do is we're saying, listen, gentrification is a reality, but we want to do gentrification with justice. We want the poor to own the pond. And so we're saying a rising tide raises all boats. What would it look like if our neighbors could own their homes, and so uh, we're attempting that. And then we have this weekly gathering, uh, meeting every Sunday now at, at Jackson Elementary in a cafeteria. No air conditioning. We sweat for Jesus. And, uh, and so we, we have uh, the summers, brutal, and uh, you'll hate it, but we find ourselves raising our hands and uh, celebrating good news. And so a weekly gathering and a nonprofit and a uh, small business all working together for the flourishing of our neighborhood, eight blocks by 12 blocks and 923 homes. So that's what we're about, my friends. Are you there? Matthew chapter six. Let's read it together. I'll read it for you. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins. As we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. But rescue us from the evil one. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the privilege to um, just sit together under your word. Recognize that this, for me, isn't just checking off a a box on my list of things to do. That Jesus, right now, today, with these friends, we want to hear from you. So I say, Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit. We pray that you would speak through your word. We pray that you would usher us in to what you want us to understand and how you want us to obey. We pray, Lord Jesus, this wouldn't be wasted time. But that you would, in fact, speak. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen this is my 16th year of full-time ministry working in a church. I'd, listen, I never thought I would ever uh, be a church guy. I'm not really a church guy. I heard all the horror stories, overworked and underpaid and church politics, all that stuff you hear about. So my, never, never my thing. And 16 years ago, God said, listen, if you're going to le- learn to love me fully, you've got to learn to love my church. And so I started working as a pastor in a church full-time. And, and over over these many years, God has changed my heart. And as I look at, at you, uh, I don't see people that are losers. I don't see people that are useless. I see uh, the body of Christ, coming, assembling, so that we can hear Jesus together and go live on mission. But here's what I know to be true. Here's what I know to be true about each and every one of us. That on this journey of living on mission, we, we do this thing called prayer. And, and as I look at what Jesus said, as he taught us to pray, his fourth petition, give us today our daily bread, as he was teaching us to pray, I've noticed that, that many, many people over the last 16 years Have a problem with prayer. Is that you? Because for many of us, prayer is boring. It's boring. I don't get get excited about prayer. I get excited about baseball games. I get excited about my kids' soccer games. I get excited about what's going on in my life. I don't get excited about prayer. Is that you? There's another group of people that's like, hey, it's not boring. But here's what it is. Prayer is hard. Prayer is hard. My mind wanders, man. My mind wanders. I start praying and other things come in, and all of a sudden I'm thinking about the laundry. I was just a second over I, to be honest with you, I thought about the laundry just a second ago. It happens, and it's hard. It's hard. Is that you? Prayer hard. There's a third group of people that, you know, it's not boring and it's not hard, but, but for me, it's, it is rare. It's rare. I don't really pray. I mean, I kind of pray and maybe there's this thing about praying continuously and so maybe I'm just kind of present to God, but, but really if you kind of pressed me, if you pressed me, I really don't, I really don't pray. It's actually quite rare. What category are you in? Is prayer boring? Is prayer hard? Is prayer rare? If, if that's you or if that's me, if that's your experience, I can work with that. I can work with that. So so here, we're just going to work with that. If you're in that category, we're just going to work with that if you are willing to admit it. Because like the disciples, the disciples also had to learn how to pray. Look at the question that they ask in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Would you say that with me? Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. That was weak at my church. I'd be telling you, you're losers. Okay, so let's try this again. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. There's something about prayer that's hard and boring and rare. And so the disciples who walked with Jesus day by day, learning and living from him, also had to be taught. Also had to be taught. And so today, as we kind of sit under Jesus, we're saying, Lord, again, teach us to pray. Now, maybe you've walked with Jesus for 60 years. That's good. Lord, teach me to pray. Maybe this is your first year of following Jesus. And so you're saying, Lord, teach me to pray. And maybe you're not a follower of Jesus yet. You just come to church on Sunday. That's okay. But maybe your prayer today is, Lord, teach me to pray. But however you come here today, this is the question that we're asking of Jesus. And when Jesus is teaching... He's teaching us how to pray. Now, he teaches us six petitions, right? As as we pray, we're going to pray for six things, six petitions, six requests. And and they're not stale. Notice them. Uh, They're they're not formulaic. They're, They're real life, real issue, real question things. Have we talked about that in previous weeks? These aren't kind of random things. These are everyday things that we all deal with and struggle with. They're the things of life that we wrestle with God. Notice that the first three petitions in our prayer... Or about your name, right? Remember, your name, your kingdom, your will. It's all about God. God, you. God, this. God, your, your, your name and your, your kingdom and, and your will be done. And now we hit the fourth petition today. Now we hit the fourth petition and there's a shift. It's from God's cause, your kingdom and your will and your name to, to give us, to forgive us. To lead us. You see, it shifts from God's cause to, to our cause. Do you, do you see that there? And so today we focus on the fourth petition give us today our daily bread. I know a little bit about daily bread, I know a little bit about what this feels like. You know, at, at the church that I led in, I was living in Canada for the last 10 years. I was living a half a block from the beach and 20 minutes from a ski hill. Now wait, I grew up in the highest crime, lowest income neighborhood in Fresno. Was the was a son of urban missionaries. And then 12 years ago, I moved to the wealthiest neighborhood in Canada. The owner of Ferrari, like the company, lived in our neighborhood. The owner of Lululemon lived next door. Uh, like Oprah owned a house like a few blocks away. Like this was the neighborhood that I lived in and worked in. This was my, my church's neighborhood. I made it. I got out and I made it to Canada, half a block from the beach and 20 minutes from a ski hill. And I'll tell you, for the last 10 years working in that church, I loved that group of people as I presented the gospel to people who had everything. But here's the reality. As I preached good news, as I aligned that church to leverage its assets on behalf of the mission of God, I got comfortable. Boy, I loved that steady paycheck, man. Every single month that thing came in. I almost didn't even have to ask for people to tithe because it just came in and they paid me well. Again, I lived 20 minutes from a ski hill, so my life was pretty good. Better than your lives, actually. Yeah, to be honest with you, you're an hour and a half away from a ski hill. I was living, I was living 20 minutes away remember that, that steady paycheck coming in and, and, and 12 years ago, getting used to that feeling. My life's pretty good. I like what I do and I like who I do it with. Have you felt that? When you look at your life and you look at your friends and you look at your family, boy, you're just grateful. You're just grateful. And maybe out of this, out of this love and gratitude, this, this satisfaction with your life, we forget, we forget what it's like to live on the, the narrow edge of faith. On the sharp edge of faith. So my sermons about faith were awesome. The problem was I didn't know anything about it. And all of a sudden Jesus asked us to drop our net as a family. I want you to leave a half a block from the beach, and I want you to leave 20 minutes from a ski hill. I want you to plant a church called Neighborhood Church among those who are poor. I want you to start a small business and a nonprofit and, and a weekly gathering. I want to uproot your life and uproot your kids. I have four kids. The feeling of becoming a missionary for me exposed my lack of faith. In fact, in fact, I grew so worried in that time, I got eczema all over my face. Can you imagine the lead pastor of this church with eczema all over his face? Just deeply stressed about what this sense of call would do to me. I, mean, I don't want to do something that fails. I don't want to do something that hard, that, that's hard. I don't want to have to drop my net and then trust Jesus I didn't really know how much it would cost to live in Fresno, so I called some friends back here and I said, Hey, Phil Sky, how much would it cost for a family of six to move into Fresno? Middle income. Well, he said, send me, your, send me your budget sheet. So I sent him our, our Excel sheet of everything that we spend in an average month. We, we give away as a family 23% of our income every single month because we love to support people. He said, hey, if you're going to maintain that level of giving and continue to increase and pay for health insurance, which, by the way, is 1300 bucks a month. 1300 bucks a month for health insurance? Okay, okay, how much is it going to be, Phil? How much is it going to be? He said, your family is going to need to bring in about $5,000 a month. $5,000 a month. I mean... I don't want to raise $5,000 a month. I'm not a fundraiser. I don't want to do these things. You see, at this time I realized that, that Joe was this big and Jesus was this big. My sermons about faith were awesome, but I didn't know anything about faith. And now Jesus was asking us to drop our net. Worry, worry and anxiety grew in my heart. Eczema grew all over my face. Eczema, whatever you call it, grew all over my face. I remember one day I was in the car uh, with my wife, and my kids were in the back seat. Uh, we were planning to move, and they had Dora the Explorer on, you know, on their headphones. I'm trying to teach them Spanish, you know, and so they're sitting in the back seat. That was a joke. You can laugh. It's church. We're having a good time. They're in the back seat, and they're listening to Dora the Explorer, and they can't hear us, and I'm filled with anxiety and worry, and I, I don't know if God is going to take care of us. I don't know how to trust Him, but I want to. I want to trust Him, but it's hard. I remember in the quiet of the car, I turned to my wife who's in the passenger seat, and I said, Heidi... Do you really think that God can give us $5,000 a month? I said that word 5000 and not a second later, my little girl in the back seat, she's seven, she takes off her earphones and she yells up to the front seat. She says, Daddy, can you read that story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? My heart went, gah, 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 because ga, I knew it was for me. I knew it was for me. And so Heidi pulls out the Bible and she begins to read the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. And it's almost like every, every time that word 5,000 hit, it was like God was saying to me, Joe, if I can feed those 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, do you think I can feed your family of six? I had to learn how to say yes. I had to learn how to trust them. You see, when we pray, give us today our daily bread. We're praying, Jesus... Jesus, I want to trust you to provide for me. I want to trust you to provide for me. I want to trust you to provide for me. Is that the space that you're in? You see, in Scripture, the dominant biblical theme is a banquet. Hallelujah. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, it's always someone sitting at a table eating something because the reality is, will you trust me to provide for you? That's the reality. Well, think about the Exodus. You're all these slaves, right, living in Egypt, and they're, they're living in a foreign land. And then Jesus, God, promises them a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, will you trust me to provide for you? Then they're in the desert for 40 years. How are we going to eat? How are we going to eat? And for 40 years, Jesus gives them manna every single day, just enough. Not too much and not too little for 40 years because will you trust me? Will you trust me to provide for you? And then when, when the Israelites are captured by the Babylonians and Isaiah, remember? Like, hey, hey, you guys all belong to us now. Follow us. We're going to take you to our land, right? And they're freaking out because they're like, hey, what? Does God abandon us? We're going to be slaves again. We're going to go. We're going to live for generations in the land that's not ours. We're forced to do things that we don't want to do. In Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6, this is what God says to them. In Jerusalem, the Lord of the heavens' armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. Gives them a promise. You guys are getting screwed, but there's a banquet coming. Will you trust me? to provide for you? Or what about Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I have all that I need. Will you trust me to provide for you? See, here's what I need you to understand. That the God of the universe is saying to each and every one of us, will you trust me to provide for you Now in Luke 22:27 Jesus gives us a picture of what this looks like This is what he says He's going to ask a question about a couple sitting at a dinner table Who's more important than the one who sits at the table or the one who serves Let me ask that question again so it's clear Who's more important The one who sits at the table or the one who serves Well the one who sits at the table of course, but not here, for I am among you as the one who serves. What's that mean? It's like, you ever been in a restaurant, right? All those people sitting down ordering, uh, you know, pizza and tri-tip. Those guys. And then you have the waiters wearing their funny little aprons with the thing that sticks in there. and the Right? Those guys. Who's more important between the two? The one paying for the meal or the one waiting on them? Well, oh, of course, of course, I know who it is. It's the one sitting at the table. They're paying for the tri-tip. They got the nice dinner plans, right? They're having a good time. The one who's waiting is less important. Jesus says, not in my world, because I'm the one. I'm the one who serves. What's he saying? Jesus sees himself at the waiter as the waiter of your table. What? Jesus sees himself As the waiter at your table, will you trust me to provide for you? What does he provide? He provides bread, our text says. Give us today our daily bread. He's not talking about carbs. Jesus, some kind of high carb, low fat guy. He's like, he's like, hey, this isn't, I'm not talking about bread. Oh, it's bread, but it's so much more than bread. It's, it's everything necessary for my well-being. Maybe put that in your notes. It's everything necessary for my well-being. See, bread is a great, is a great symbol. It's a great symbol because bread is, is physical. Everything necessary for my well-being. That Jesus, I trust you to provide everything that's necessary for my physical well-being. I love that bread is, is necessary. Or, or rice, depending on where you are in the world. But you need, you need bread. You need, you need that stuff. It's, it's, it's necessary. Jesus, I, I trust you to provide the necessary things in my life. And, and I love that bread is small. It's seemingly insignificant. I mean, it's just bread. It's not tri-tip. And it's not the cow. It's not the field of cows. It's a loaf of bread. It's small. Jesus, I trust you to provide and help me with the small things in my life. Those things don't seem very spiritual or very big. Those little prayers, those little requests, those little things. I, I trust you to provide the, the little things in my life. When you pray for daily bread, here's what happens. You begin to get dependent on Jesus. Notice our notice. he teaches us to pray, give us today our daily bread. I'm depending on you today for those physical things, for those necessary things, for those small things. I'm depending on you today. Jesus says, pray like that. Why don't you get dependent on me for today? And then he says, give us today our daily bread. Now, I I looked at that word daily because it's a funny word in Greek. I failed Greek, so don't take my word for it, but let me tell you something about this. Most commentators agree that this this word, daily, is only used one place in Scripture. It's a very strange word. It's hard to find it even in other extra-biblical literature. It's hard to find it, but most commentators agree that this word is in reference to a 24-hour period. So when you pray, he's like, hey, you're praying for today and the next 24 hours. Like I'm trusting you for the physical and necessary and small requests for the next 24 hours. You got me in the next 24 hours. So from 9:30 a.m. today till 9:30 tomorrow, I'm trusting you with this or with that or with this small thing. I'm choosing to trust you Jesus to provide for me. We've had this prayer in our heart a lot in the Jackson neighborhood. I mean, we do everything with no money, right? You know, God takes care of us every single month through donors. It's kind of unbelievable. Some of you maybe even give. I appreciate you. Thank you. But we just trust Him, and we pray. You know, there was this old abandoned workshop in our neighborhood, blighted, you know, 100-year-old workshop. We renovated it and turned it into an artisan space where kids in our neighborhood can learn job transferable skills. You can't learn that stuff in school anymore, right? Go to Roosevelt. No one's going to teach you how to, how to build something. right? Go, go, go to Edison. They, they, they took down the shop, right? But, but we're saying, what if, what if we could mobilize and empower a group of students in our neighborhood to, to learn how to build, giving them job transferable skills that they could get snatched up quickly in our current economy? We did that. We created a beautiful artisan space where kids in our neighborhood can learn job transferable skills. The problem is we couldn't fill it with tools. That stuff's expensive. Table saws are expensive, and planers and joiners are expensive, Miter saws and the rest, and wood and the rest, it's expensive. So we prayed. You know, some time ago a guy called me, I've never met him before, his name was John. John called me, say, Hey Joe, I want to meet you face to face. I said, sure, come on over. He's from Madeira, so he took him a while, but he got here and I invited him in, kind of a middle aged white guy, drove a truck and John, why have you come? He said, Joe, I, before I tell you, I, I just need to tell you a story. I said, sure. He said, 10 years ago, my passion was motorcycling. He said, I amassed for myself my lifelong dream. A Harley, all decked out, chromed out, beautiful. It's exactly what he wanted. He'd ride it during the weekend, on the weekends. He said, but a strange thing happened to me 10 years ago. I said, what's that? He said, I was dreaming one night. And in my dream, Jesus came to me. He said, John... You need to give away your motorcycle. He said, I woke up from this dream feeling convicted, knowing what I had to do. He said, I just couldn't do it. That's my motorcycle. He said, for three months, I resisted God. I just couldn't bring myself to give it away. He said, but my heart is for God. And after three months, I finally relented and I gave it away. He said, well, in, in the time, in the last 10 years, then since the motorcycle, my passion became woodworking. I master my shelf, a workshop full of high-end cabinetry-making equipment of the highest order, tens of thousands of dollars even worth. He said, but Joe, a strange thing happened to me three months ago. I said, what? He said, I was dreaming one night. He said, and in my dream, Jesus came to me just as he had before ten years earlier, but this time he said, John, you need to give away your woodworking equipment. He said, I woke up from the dream feeling convicted, just as I had before, but this time I didn't resist. That very day I called all around Madeira, ministries and nonprofits, I said, Hey, would you be able to do evangelism and discipleship through woodworking, job giving job transferable skills to kids? And every ministry and nonprofit said the same thing. No, John, I'm sorry, we would love to sell the equipment and use the money for our ministry, but this isn't something we particularly do, he said, until I heard about you, Joe. Just one question. I said, what's that? Would you like my woodworking equipment? It's almost like I didn't have to say yes because Jesus already had. I must tell you that we started a small business out of that workshop. Our boys are learning job transferable skills every day of the week, and we're placing them in odd jobs all over the city for people who need work done. And and beyond that, we just became a supplier for LittleLibraries.com, and so uh, every little library that you buy processes through through our uh, small business. We're just finding that that when you trust Jesus for daily needs, for those necessary physical or small needs, that, that it's, it's, it's a question mark in our lives. Will I depend on Him? Listen, every worry in your life is a vote of non-confidence in God. Every worry in our life is a vote of non-confidence in God. So when we pray, when we get dependent, then we watch God move. Right now, we're praying for a 12-passenger van. Because there's all sorts of kids, 50 kids now, uh, call Neighborhood Church their home. The problem is their parents won't take them. Uh, we, we deal with a Catholic, uh, Protestant reality. We also deal with a, a few other issues. And so we just want to go pick them up. Oh, you can't come to us. We'll come to you. We'll come to you. Every single one of you. Because that's what Jesus would do. That's what he would do. And so we're just praying that God would provide. And he will. What are you trusting God for right now? What's the physical thing? Maybe something with your body. Maybe, maybe it's a need that you have. What's the necessary thing? God, I just need you to come in this area. I just need you to do something. Just do, I'm waiting on you to do something. What is it? What is it that you're asking Him to do? God, this this thing is so small but I'm just trusting you with it. It's so small. It's so insignificant, but I know you care. You care about the small things, just like you care about bread. What is it that you're trusting God for right now? I think God is saying to you and to me and to each one of us at the sound of my voice, will you trust me to provide for you? I want to say yes. I want to say yes. But I love this. I want you to check this out. Jesus is not expecting you to ask alone. Take a look. Give us today our daily bread. Us. 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 Our family. Our brothers and sisters. Our church. Give us us. You see, when we pray this way, it puts us in solidarity with the people around us. When we when we pray this way, we're actually praying that maybe we would be the solution to someone's request. Maybe maybe it's give us when I hear my neighbor praying for something. Is that something I can answer? Right? We're praying for us, something in our church. Is there something that we can do together? We've experienced this. I mean, as donor-supported missionaries in the Jackson neighborhood, we've learned how to trust on people. Give us our daily bread. And there are hundreds of people who now call us a part of their support team. Us has gotten bigger. Sometimes when we're going low, we have people coming in giving more, praying more, supporting more in practical ways. We're choosing to trust that Jesus provides for us, us. And the same is true for each and every one of you here. When we prayed, give us today our daily bread. We're praying it in solidarity with each other. We are a family and we're asking together. This isn't some person in my prayer group asking for something personally. No, this is, we are together in this. And maybe I have a responsibility to my brother, my sister, my church family, or someone in my home. To be an answer that God would use for their prayer. What happens to you when you start to live this way? When you start to pray this way? What happens to you? What what changes in your life? How does your lifestyle look different? What does this create in you? I'd like you to just turn your attention to a few things. Here's what I think happens to you. Number one, it makes you ask people for help, and it makes you help others. Give us our daily bread. It puts us in solidarity with people around us. And it means that you just can't pray silently because you're praying us and our. It's like you got to actually ask people for help. Are you suffering alone? Do you have a physical need or a necessary need or a small need, but nobody knows about it? I mean, does the person next to you, the spouse that you came with or the family member, if you were sitting in a circle and it were prayer time, would you know what they were going to say? Or would it be a surprise to you? You see, it makes us ask people for help. And it puts puts us in a position to help others. Uh, I used to live in Latin America. And uh, there's this old Latin American prayer. It goes like this. Oh God, to those who have hunger, give bread. And to those who have bread, give a hunger for justice. The idea is like, God, if you could just take care of people's needs, but if those needs are fulfilled, give them a hunger to take care of others' needs. And whether they're health needs or job needs or citizenship needs or whatever needs that they are, that we would be in a position to seek the well-being of the other, of our brothers or sisters or our neighbors or our fam- family or our friends, because it's give us our daily bread. Makes me ask people for help. And help others. Number two, I think they're in your notes. It gives me, it makes me grateful for what I have. Makes me grateful for what I have. Check this out. Every every time you take bread into your hands, you're handling an answered prayer. What do you mean? Well, it's like, there's like this undocumented worker. And he's freaking out. And he prays, God, I pray that you give me work today. And somebody he hires him. So he's picking a vegetable. And then the farmer prays, Farmer, God, I pray that you would allow my, my crop to, to produce. And, and God answers the prayer. And then the truck driver prays, God, I pray that there would be something to pick up today. And then and he goes to pick up the food and God answers his prayer. And then the supermarket owner says, God, I pray that there'd be good produce that people would buy. And the truck driver delivers it and the, and the supermarket owner says, God, thank you, you answered my prayer. And then, and then my family goes and we pick up this vegetable and we pray, God, I pray there'd be food for us at a reasonable price to buy. And in fact, there was and God answered our prayer. And then my little daughter at dinner says, God, thank you so much for this meal. Every time you hold bread in your hands, it's been answered again and again and again. By the time it hits you, it's been answered maybe a hundred times before. It makes me grateful for what I have. Number three, it makes me admit my need. You know Joni Erickson Tada, right? Yeah? Paralyzed from the waist down. She wrote this, When life is rosy, we may slide by with knowing about Jesus... With imitating him, quoting him, speaking of him. But only in suffering will we know Jesus. You see, when I pray, give us today our daily bread, I'm admitting that I have a need. And it's only when you can admit that need, when you can admit that you're suffering and that you need something from God, that there's something that only Jesus can do, when you can get to the place where you can admit that, then you'll learn some things about Jesus. Maybe you admit your need. God, I'm angry. I'm angry. God, I'm in conflict. God, I have financial issues. It's embarrassing. God, I need forgiveness. God, I'm lonely. God, I've had, I've had loss in my life. God, I'm in pain. God, I'm stressed. I'm stressed. And so when we pray, give us today our daily bread, we're admitting the need that we have. Could you get there? We plane it tough. We plane it tough to the people around you and to God. We learn things about God and suffering that we can only learn. We can't learn any other way. So so maybe you're here today. You're like, yo, prayer is boring. Prayer is hard. And prayer is rare. But like the disciples, I, I'm willing, so Lord, teach me, teach me to pray. And so Jesus is teaching us to pray for daily bread. Let me teach you how to pray. And Jesus is like, hey, when you pray, you're choosing to see me as the waiter at your table. Now that's amazing. When, when you pray, you're choosing to trust me to provide for you. That's what's happening when, when you pray. And, and when you pray, you're going to get into that space where you start needing to ask, asking people for help. And you need to help others. That when you pray, you need to be grateful for what you have. And, and when you pray, you need to admit that you have some need. That's how I want you to pray. And whether that need is anger or conflict or finances or forgiveness or loneliness or loss or pain or stress, I admit it, Lord. Because I trust you to provide for me. I want our prayer lives to go from boring to brilliant. From hard it's helpful. From rare to regular. That's what I want. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the great privilege of learning from you how to pray. I pray, Lord Jesus, for those here who have real need. I pray that you would meet that need. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we pray, that, that you would meet us in that, in that need and that we would learn to trust you. Because you're a God who waits on our table. That's amazing that you would even do that for me. That you would wait on me. That you would wait on them. So Jesus, we just love you and we thank you for what it means for our lives. We trust you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.